Welcome to the weekly message from Encounter, where the past has no future and hope is reborn. Our speaker today is Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor at Encounter. Good morning, church. How are you doing? Summer has arrived, hopefully. But I'm concerned some people are messing it up. This is the first sunny Sunday we've had, and half the people are missing this morning. See what I'm saying? When you see them, get on them, okay? Because if the result of God giving us a Sunday day on Sunday is half the people don't go to church, I'm calling for rain, all right? (laughs) So if you see somebody that's missing, and there's a lot, if you see somebody that was missing here Sunday, you get on their case. They're about to mess up your summer Sundays, okay? Um, Looking forward to, hopefully, this week, it will allow things to dry out and we can have you over at our place on Sunday evening a week from today. And um, we're going to have a lot of things to do, and we're going to eat. You all like to eat? All right, all right. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Luke chapter 15. We have been, for the last three weeks, this makes the fourth, we have been talking about the what the church has erroneously called the the parable of the prodigal son. And it started with God showing me that we we have gotten that parable all wrong. I mean, certainly you can can dig some truth out of that parable when when you focus on the prodigal son, but the parable was never about the prodigal son. Jesus started the parable by saying this, There was a certain man who had two sons. The parable was about the man, not the sons, and certainly not the prodigal son, because nowhere in the story is a prodigal son even named. It's always a son. He never became the prodigal son until we named him that. And when you look at this parable through the lens that this is a parable about a father, and how he engages his children, then it just kind of blossoms. And I hope that it's been doing that for you over these last three weeks. And, and today, with the, the Lord's help, we're going to finish up with a message simply titled, Shut Up and Get Dressed. Just shut up and get dressed. And I, I know we've read the, 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 the parable in, in its entirety every week, but I feel impressed that we're supposed to do that. And so one more time, if you'll bear with me. I know it's a long reading, but we're going to read the parable again. Luke 15, verse 11. The he in this verse is Jesus, and it says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, 
and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Would you stretch your hands this way and pray with me and for me? Father, I'm, I'm always in awe that your finger searched and found me and called me to share your heart with people. There are no words to express the privilege that is. And yet, God, I know that, that my, my ability to do so is so limited. So, Holy Spirit, I ask you to do what you do so well. Bring truth to us this morning. Truth that we come to know. Truth that sets us free. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. As I read our parable, I, we, we've shared three truths each week for the last three weeks, and now this will be the fourth. 
So we've sh we have shared 12, and I probably see 15 more. It's just a treasure trove. This morning, truth number one is this. It's truth number 10. Truth number 10 is this. Grace does more than forgive you of sin. It can free you from it. We got to understand that. We know that this parable that Jesus is sharing is a parable. It's one that he's made up. It's not a true telling of a story. It's a story that he has made up to bring kingdom of heaven realities into language that you and I can relate to and understand. But we also have to understand this about it. When Jesus is done telling this parable, when he finishes there with the last verse, the parable is complete. There isn't more truth that he wanted to share. There wasn't something he left off of the story. There wasn't a missing piece. It doesn't, the struggles that these three individuals are having do not continue or the parable would have continued. Because the way that our God is, he is the God of the beginning and the end and he's everything in between. When he is done, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 15, we will look at life and say it's perfect. So you need to know that when Jesus shares this parable and he, he's finished, the story is finished. So we can, we can drive from that that the younger son didn't wander anymore. It's fixed. The, the problem in the relationship with dad was finally fixed. We know that the older son is no longer on the outside looking in and upset, or Jesus would have continued the parable to tell us how he solved that. So we have every right to believe that this parable is complete. And I, I, I want you to know how he solved everybody's problem. The younger son came to himself when he realized how good dad was. He's in a pig pen. Brother David sent me a text this week. It was it's true. One of the unique things about this story is this is Jewish people, and they have an issue with pigs that God gave them. And here he is in a pig pen feeding pigs. How many's ever seen a pig pen? Nasty, smelly. Listen to me. If you've ever been on a diet, anybody in here ever been on a diet for like a day? Okay. And you know how when you get hungry, food you wouldn't have never eaten in your life starts to look good? I think I'll go ahead and have a bowl of paste. This, this man is so hungry. Listen, he's standing in a pig pen with all of the relevant smells and mess, 
and he's looking at what the pigs are eating, and he says, I, I, man, I'd like a bowl of that. That's what the Bible says. He would have eaten it. And in that mess, the Bible doesn't tell us that he's focused on how bad he is. That isn't what causes him to come to himself. Are you with me so far? Here's what causes him to come to himself. My dad's servants have it better than me. They have food enough and in abundance. And here I stand. That's grace. We have this, listen to me, we have this idea that there's, and you've all heard it preached, that you've got to be careful about telling people too much about grace because it will free them to sin. How many have heard that? You, you have to be careful. You have to be careful with this grace thing. Grace is like, like Oreo cookies. You really open the package intending to eat three. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Next thing you know, you're having to hide the package. It's nearly empty. Because everybody else in the house knew it just came in the door an hour ago. And we have preached and taught people that grace was like Oreo cookies. You can have three. But don't take a whole row or two. You can always tell how many Oreos a person intends to eat by the size of the glass of milk they pour. That's just another truth. I don't have a, a sign for that, but that, that's another truth. And so we, 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 we listen to me, we, we have this idea this weird theology that if you preach grace too much, it frees people to sin. How many have heard that? And listen to me, I'm, I'm, I'm old school, if you will, in that I, I believe that if you die lost, you go to hell. I believe that in this life, even here, if you behave in certain ways and you do certain things you bring the judgment of God on you I know that because the scripture says that but we can't go with what we say about grace or think about grace we need to go with what the word of God says about grace and I don't have time to go into a long study of grace but look at with me Romans chapter 5 verse 20 Here's what Paul said. Let's read it slowly. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Abound. More. The law was given so that we would be fully aware of all that offends the nature of God. 
Are you with me so far? But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So God is saying that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. God is saying that when he sees sin, he pours out grace in greater measure than the sin because grace deals with the sin. When the enemy comes in, like a flood, God will raise up a standard against him. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. He will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ever ask or think. We are living, listen to me for a moment, we are living in a time, I think, that, that rivals some of the worst days this planet has ever seen when it comes to morality. We are having marches and parades in this country Women celebrating that they've murdered their children. Not been cornered to make a difficult decision that they now regret. They celebrate it. There are literally now abortion parties where they celebrate that they've murdered their children. And in this culture of sin, grace needs to bound. We will never deal with sin until we we show the grace of God. Somebody say amen. You say, "Ah, brother, I don't... That just frees people. That's not what the scripture says. It says where sin abound, grace did more abound. So it's this analogy, and it's a good analogy because our relationship with God is referred to as a marriage relationship. We're going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. According to most most theology today about grace, it goes something like this. A husband, a wife says to her husband, Honey, we've been together a long time. You told me when we got married, you would love me. And I have never spent one moment of my life doubting that. I wake up every day feeling loved by you. I go through my day knowing that you love me. I lay my head down at night knowing you love me. You told me you'd be faithful to me. And every day of our marriage, you have been faithful to me. I caught you. When those pretty women with the skimpy dresses go by, I see you looking the other way so that your eye doesn't wander. You tell me you love me. You bring me flowers. You provided this beautiful home for me. I feel treasured by you. Around your family and our family and your friends, you brag to them about me. You've never missed an anniversary. You always write, bring me the most beautiful gifts on my birthday, and you pour your heart into a card. You bring tears to my eyes every time I read it. 
It seems like there's been endless times when you've gathered my face in your hands and you've kissed me like I'm the only woman in the world. I don't even put gas in the beautiful car you provide for me. We go on vacations and we have a good time. You sing to me. You've nurtured me when I'm sick. You've forgiven me when I've failed. And if you don't stop it, I'm going to leave you. Because if he's just too good to her, she's going to wander. Now does, now does the grace theology of today sound a little stupid? Anybody in here want to be in a marriage like that? <laughs> I know all of us husbands fall short, but I, I'm guessing there's a few. Grace doesn't free you. Listen to me for a moment. Bible says we love God because he first loved us. That's what it says. In the book of Revelations, the Spirit of God told a church that you need to return to your first love. And we've always thought we need to refocus our love. Here's our first love. We love him because he first loved us. If your love for God is not a reaction to the love that he's shown you, then you're in trouble. There's a cause and effect there. The greatest way for you to love God more is to know more how much God loves you. And when you know how much God loves you, is this making sense to anybody? If you know how much God loves you, you love him in return. You, 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 you gravitate towards that. How many understand? Last two truths I want to share with you. A truth about... How the father engages the older son. We're going to quickly read his story again so it's fresh. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. Catch that word. Your brother has come. That's what the father says. Your brother has come. And because he, was received, because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a goat, young goat, that I might make merry with my friends. He never refers to his younger brother as his brother. In this story, he refers to his youngest brother as your son. Truth number 11. You may need to lose some friends.
this in a moment. This older son had a twisted view of his father. He saw dad as somebody who was to be obeyed. He saw dad as somebody who was to be served. He saw dad as somebody who was to be pleased. Listen to me. Obey the Lord. Jesus himself said it. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. We need to serve the Lord. We need to seek to please him. I understand that. But when our view gets so twisted of him that that is the totality of our relationship, we've missed where we started four weeks ago. That we need to go beyond relationship into fellowship. Jesus told a parable where he had divided to three guys and they went out and there came a time when they had to bring back and show what they've done with what they were given. And the first two guys had done well. They had multiplied what they were given, but the third guy came back and simply gave the master what he had been given. It had not been improved. It had not been grown. It was the same thing. And the master asked him, why did you do that? The, the, the least you could have done was stick it in the bank account so it gained some interest. You didn't even do that. You just hid it. Why'd you do that? And listen to his response. I knew you were a hard man. Jesus turns and begins to rebuke him. If all you see about God is that he's a hard, hard God, you're missing something. Jesus put it this way. He said, I, I, I no longer call you servants. That's what he said. How many know you can trust Jesus? I no longer call you servants. He said, because a servant doesn't know what the master's doing. He said, I call you friends. This young man was so self-righteous, he couldn't even call his own brother his own brother. Because he saw himself as good and his brother as bad. And we forget that in the garden, the tree that Adam and Eve were told not to touch was not the tree of the knowledge of evil. It was also the tree of the knowledge of good. And this older son, in his mind, thinks he's so good that his problems are caused by dad. Listen to me for a moment. He said, Dad, I served you all these years, and I never once failed to do what you expected of me, and you never gave me 
Did you hear it? Adam in the garden. Adam, where are you? We're hiding. Who told you? Why are you hiding? I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? A lot of people think that Adam blamed Eve. Adam did not blame Eve. Listen to it again. That woman you gave me. Adam is saying, God, this isn't my fault. You messed up. Somebody get this. The older son is saying, Dad, I haven't messed up anywhere. You did this. I think the problem in, down through the years in the church is we've had altar calls for bad people, but we don't have altar calls for good people. And we need more altar calls for good people. Because if you think being, you being good gives you access to God, you are just as deceived as the person who thinks they have no access to God because they are bad. Through all of our years of serving God as a pastor, I, I want to tell you flat-footed, eyeball to eyeball, the greatest hindrance in the body of Christ is those people who think they're good. And they will ride their religious goodness straight into hell. Because going to heaven has never been about how good you are. It's always been about how good he is. And how good he can make you. And when he makes you good, you don't look down your nose at somebody else who's struggling. Because you can relate to that. Because you were drowning. And the lifeguard guard called Jesus showed up and saved you. And, you. and somebody who's been through that does not stand on the shore and criticize those people that are drowning. Come on. Self-righteous. Down through the years, I've seen it well up in people. I had a moment before I, before, before I was better at it than God has made me now. We had a, a time in the Sunday morning service, and a young couple had visited, and the altar service came, and this brute of a young man came up, and he's, He's in the altar, and we're praying for him, and he's demon-possessed. I mean, he's seriously demon-possessed, and it's ugly for a few minutes. I don't know what else to tell you. It was ugly. It was loud. I don't think I'd have that trouble now, but we had it then. And it was, it, it was a mess. Granted, it was a mess. But he got delivered. An altar service was no more than over, and I dismissed in prayer. And there comes Sister Self-Righteous, come down the aisle. Got up on my face. Pastor, tell me, this is not what we're becoming. What, what do you mean? 
that. What if I had visitors today? What if I had brought somebody with me and they had seen that? What would I tell them? How would that look? Word of this will get out in the community. She says, then what? What do you think about that? I was a little stunned because I'd always actually kind of admired this lady. But her self-righteousness was blinding her. And I looked at her, and I, I, at first I didn't know how to respond until I look over her shoulder about a third of the way back, and there was that young man. Him and his wife had their arms wrapped around each other. And they're bawling. We'd later learn some of the hell he'd put her through. And I just turned to Sister Self-Righteous and I said, go ask them if this was okay. Pastor, those kids are running in the church. No, no, no. That's the church running in the building. And if they were running in the hallways and weaving against people, then, then yeah, for safety's sake. But when they're up here worshiping God and if they feel something and they respond to it and it turns into a run, come on. We've had people leave here who said, Pastor, I... I love this church, and I love your preaching, but, man, sometimes when, when worship gets going, people yell. He said, that just, that just bothers me. It just, oh, he said, I get all agitated. He said, why are they yelling? I think he was offended when I said, why aren't you? If that's the way they express their adoration to God, it may, may not be my thing, but if it's that or their thing, how many are you hearing me? If they want to, they want to stand. I love what one sister said. We were early in our first pastorate, and she got saved, and God had delivered her from some stuff. And I don't, I don't know what she was doing. But sometimes when she would feel something, she'd put her fingers like this and run around the building. I seriously want to get a red cape. I don't know what it meant. There's nothing ungodly about that. She, you'd have to know her. She was just so sweet and so sincere. Here's how sweet she was. She, for months, she told us that. She said, for months, she's inviting us to come over to her house to eat next Sunday. And she says, Pastor, for months, I've been practicing. After service, I go home, and I make the meal that I'm going to make for you guys. And I try to find ways to make it go faster so you don't have to wait. And I, 
I set the table and I got everything out and and she said I've practiced this a number of times and I think I'm ready can you guys come to my house that's how you understand the, 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 the where her heart is at I don't know why she and I really don't care I'm not worried about her so much as I'm worried about that one who, who God has delivered and saved and healed and done things for, and they sit like a bump on a toad. Man, run, shout, cry, kneel, lift your hands, do something. There ought to be some response. God has done something for you. We need more altar calls for good people. Once you come to the altar, we're going to pray the good out of you. I'm not being silly. Listen. Good master, Jesus said, who are you calling good? That's what he said. Who are you calling good? Don't you curse me with that. Who are you calling good? There's none good but my father. That's what, hey, listen, folks, that's what he said. I like him. He's, he, you can trust him. We need to pray the good out of people. You think you're going to heaven because you're a good person? Hit this altar quickly, please. You need saved. Truth number 12. Everything God has is for everyone. Everything God has is for everyone, if they believe. We think, we oftentimes plug in like the Old Testament. We think you've got to earn this. Can I tell you anything you think you earned from God, it ain't from God. The Bible talks about God gave. He freely gives. You have not because you ask not. He gives. Yesterday, my wife threw that in my face. I said, any chance I can get a cup of coffee? She said, you have not because you ask not. I said, could I please have a cup of coffee? And she said, sure. <laughs> okay. Okay. Listen to me. You know, God, God wants us to understand something. We get everything we get because he's good and not because we're good. And if we, the Bible says, if you only believe. If you only believe. God had to, he's had to do a work to help get some of the religious training I've received out of me. He's still working. I was in an altar service one time, and a young man came up, gave his heart to God. I think he was 15, 16 years old. I mean, he just, he just poured out his heart, gave his heart to God, and I had to 
the glory of being able to pray with him. And he got done praying, and I'm at the altar, and I'm talking to him for a moment, and he said, you know, I've never been to church before. He said, I came in here, and oh, my gosh. And then the Holy Spirit just messed up his theology. His being the, the Spirit's theology, because the Holy Spirit said to me, ask him if he wants more. And I knew he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, no, 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 he can't have it right now. He just got saved. He's got a struggle. And we got to teach him. We'll, we'll start a Holy Spirit class. You know, we'll get them all lined up. And I, listen, I'm not against teaching. Hear me. And I'm like, Wait a minute, God, that, that, that's not going to work. And so I said to him, do you want more? He says, more than I just got? <laughs> I'm afraid to say yes. And I said, yes. He goes, what is it? And I didn't feel like I was supposed to tell him. I said, just, just close your eyes, lift your hands, and tell God you want more. That's all I'm supposed to do. So just, he was okay. And he closes his eyes and he lifts his hands. And he said, God, and instantly began to speak in tongues like he's been practicing it for 30 years. And I'm like, hold on, God. Hold it. And then to blow your theology more, he gets done. 20 minutes later, he goes, what was that? Everything God has is for everybody. Listen to me. You gotta get you gotta get this story. You gotta you gotta see this. At this moment in the story, when he's talking to the oldest son, his son said, Dad, you didn't give me something, Mary, a calf, so that I could make merry with my friends. The dad said, Everything I've had is yours. You gotta get this, you gotta get this. Everything I have is yours. That's on the outside of the house. In the house, there's a son who just came home who has everything. He's got the ring on his finger, the robe on his back, the sandals on his feet, the authority, the righteousness, the peace of God. That's what the sandals represent. That boy in the house has everything. And the son is now being told, everything's for you too. I just want to tell you something, that, that you don't have to earn a healing from God. If you get healed, it's because God's good, not because you're good. When you get saved, it's not because you're good, it's because he's good. If you get a deliverance, it's not because you have fasted and and. and twisted God's arm you get delivered because God is good and when you tap into that when you tap into that my father is good you don't look down your nose at somebody else who doesn't know that you don't see them in their brokenness and say they're awful you see somebody who doesn't know how good their father is. Turn to someone near you and say, that's a word. 
Give me some music softly, JJ, if you would. I don't have a panel for this. I have two words of encouragement for you as we wrap this up. Just two. Number one, forgive yourself. Some of you all are just carrying this. God long ago forgave you and you just won't let it go. Forgive yourself. You blew it. It's not a trivial thing, but neither is the grace of God. I've made mistakes. I've done things I shouldn't have done. I haven't done things I should have done. If I'm not careful, that that weight of death will hang over me and kill everything that God's doing inside of me. And He is so good, He's already forgiven me because I've asked Him to. And even before I asked Him to, He already had. You've got to understand that. Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. You're not perfect. Forgive yourself. Self, I forgive you. You blew it. I forgive you. God forgives us as we forgive others. And included in that group of others is yourself. When you refuse to forgive yourself, you put yourself in a position diametrically opposed to where your father stands because he has forgiven you. And when you don't forgive yourself, you're telling God, you don't know how bad I am. God's telling you, no, you don't know how good I am. I fearfully and wonderfully made you. So forgive yourself. Secondly, shut up and get dressed. Seriously. Just shut up and get dressed. This young man in the pig pen. He started all the way back in the pig pen, practicing what he was going to say to dad. I'll go back to my dad and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm not worthy to be your son. Just make me one of your servants and and I'll just live happily ever after. And you can see him. Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. I'm just... He's practicing it as he's coming home. And I'll show you how important that is to dad. When he gets in dad's face, dad doesn't even respond. Dad's too busy telling the servants, get a, get a robe, get a ring, get sandals. Can I tell you what the Holy Spirit wants me to tell you? Some of you are talking yourself to death. Just let it go. You need to know how good dad is. And dad isn't waiting to pound you in the ground for how you failed. Dad is waiting to put you back into the family with full rights and full authority. A robe and a ring and sandals that tell you you're home and you're loved. You shave your feet this morning.
That's Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor of Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice are available at our website, godenc.com. You can subscribe to our regular podcast through our website or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.